Hello, welcome to the Beef Cattle Health and Nutrition Podcast, episode 39. I'm your host, Dr. John Campbell from the Western College of Veterinary Medicine. I don't have a guest with me today, but I'm going to present a case from the case files of our disease investigation unit here at the University of Saskatchewan. This case is a nutritional issue that has quite a bit of relevance for those producers that might have been dealing with drought over the past year or two. Before I get started with the story, I should say a few words about the disease investigation unit here at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine. This unit helps veterinarians and producers across our province with unusual outbreaks of disease. We've been funded since 2007 from the Saskatchewan Ministry of Agriculture and have carried out almost 250 investigations since 2007. But the unit's been in existence for many years before that. Dr. Eugene Jansen was the founder and the principal investigator for many years, and I currently coordinate the unit. Many different faculty and graduate students contribute to the investigations from across the college, and of course, we heavily rely on our colleagues in the diagnostic lab here on campus, Prairie Diagnostic Services. Much of the funding that we receive goes towards doing more diagnostic work in these outbreaks. One of the main stipulations of us instigating an outbreak investigation is that all the cases we deal with have to be referred to us by a local veterinarian. Well, that's the background. Let's get to the case. Let's start with a bit of history on the herd in question. This was a commercial cow-calf herd with Simmental cross cows. In total, there were a little over 225 animals due to calve that particular spring. The herd bulls were usually turned out in late July, and calving season typically started at the end of April. We got involved in the case in about mid-May of that calving season of that particular year. At that point, about 43 cows had calved, and the owner had reported that he had seen six calves with neurological signs, including blindness, aimless circling, walking backwards. Many of those calves were very dull and would sometimes stargaze or arch their neck up and stare up towards the sky. Some of these calves had unfortunately died despite treatment and the owner brought three dead calves and two calves that were still alive but affected with these neurological symptoms into the veterinary college for us to look at. I'll spend a few minutes discussing what we found on these first few calves. The first calf we examined was about six days old. He had been weak since birth and the producer had tube fed him multiple times. They noticed nervous symptoms first the day before he had come in, and he had some ocular and nasal discharge, but beyond that, he mostly had significant issues with his vision. There was some swelling of the cornea and some pus in the anterior chamber of the eye, but the calf was obviously blind in his left eye, although he perhaps had a bit of vision in his right. The second calf that was still alive was nine days old, and he had developed neurological signs yesterday as well. He would spin in circles, and he was very reactive to any noise or stimulation. The calf would back up, he'd also stargaze, and he also had nasal and ocular discharge. If you flicked a finger towards the calf's eye, he wouldn't react. That's what we call a menace reflex. So they were absent in both eyes, and he also had pupils that would not respond to light stimulation. There is no doubt that this calf was completely blind. Eventually, these calves were sent for a postmortem examination, as well as the three other dead calves that the owner had brought into the clinic. We got some mixed results from the postmortem, and so we didn't have a conclusive diagnosis at this point. One of the two calves that had been brought into the clinic alive had obvious eye lesions consisting of retinal detachment and cataracts. The other calves had some congestion in the brain, 
but there wasn't a lot of conclusive lesions. We tested the calves and their dams for some trace mineral deficiencies and vitamin deficiencies, and those results were somewhat confusing. Both cows were deficient for copper and cobalt on a serum test, and the vitamin A levels were both normal in both cows. We tested the livers on the calves as well for trace minerals, and their results were even more confusing. Trace mineral panels were mostly normal in these calves. One calf was deficient in vitamin A, and two of the calves had high normal vitamin A levels. This investigation was taking place during the height of the COVID restrictions, and so it took a few months before we could get to the farm. However, we managed to get there in early June of 2020. At that point, there were only about 40 cows left to calve. The owner had continued to identify blind calves, and some of these calves would have more severe neurological symptoms. The herd had been divided into two different management groups, but there were blind calves in both of the two groups. There was no history of purchasing anything recently or bringing anything into the herd. However, the neighbor's cows had been in the herd at the end of October until calving started. However, the neighbor's cows didn't have any blind calves in their group. I should mention a little bit more about the management of this herd. They had diagnosed Yoni's disease in the herd, and the owner was working on a test and cull program for that with the advice of his local veterinarian. Last year, he had culled about 13 positive animals, and in January of this year, he had tested again and only identified one positive cow and two suspects, which he was planning on culling. The owner had a good relationship with the local veterinarian, and they had a good vaccination program in place. The cows got a modified live pre-breeding vaccine, and the calves were usually vaccinated with both clostridial as well as a modified live viral vaccine before pasture turnout. Some of the calves had received vitamin A, D, and E and selenium at birth, but that was a little bit hit and miss, and the producer hadn't been consistent about doing that. Overall, the body condition of the cows in the herd was excellent, other than just a small number of cows that were a bit thin. It was actually suspected some of these cows might be potentially Yoni's disease cases, and they were scheduled to be tested. At this point in time, mid-June, they had identified about 24 calves out of 184 on the ground that are obviously blind. That's about 13% of the calf crop. 21% of the calves from the first calf heifers were affected, and only 12% of the calves from the mature cows were affected. In many disease outbreaks involving calves, we often see first calf heifers calves with a higher rate of disease. Those first calf heifers are more likely to have poor colostrum quality. Their calves are more likely to have calving problems or mismothering problems that might affect their colostrum intake. And nutritional diseases tend to impact the growing heifers at a greater rate than mature cows. We then started asking about the winter feeding program. And as I mentioned previously, it had been in a pretty significant drought in the previous summer. The pasture quality had been so poor that the producer started feeding grain screens that he had accessed from a local grain cleaning operation to his cows early in the fall because the grass didn't have much nutritional value at that point. The cows were getting about 8 pounds per head per day of these screenings, and although there had been some concern about ergot in at least one of the loads, the producer had been careful not to give those screenings to the cows. Throughout the winter feeding period, the cows also had access to free-choice oat green feed, as well as some trace mineral salt blocks. There wasn't any additional trace mineral or vitamin mix fed to the cows. Because of the eye lesions that we had been seeing in these calves, I was fortunate to bring Dr. Asinchuk along with me, who is a board-certified veterinary ophthalmologist. 
Dr. Sinchuk examined about seven of these affected calves using some of the special instruments that she had brought along with her. We did euthanize one more poor-doing calf and harvested some tissues for the diagnostic lab for, from that calf. We also collected feed samples from the feed that was left from the previous winter feeding. We collected blood samples from both cows and calves that we submitted to the diagnostic lab for trace minerals and vitamin levels. The calves that Dr. Osinchak evaluated all had significant eye lesions. Five of the seven calves had retinal detachment in both eyes, and the other two calves had retinal detachment in one eye, along with some cataracts. When they examined the eyes in the diagnostic lab after the postmortem, they could identify lots of abnormal retinal development in these calves. The blood samples that we took from the cows and calves demonstrated a few significant findings. A fairly high percentage of the cows and the calves were deficient in copper and manganese. All of the cows we sampled were deficient in copper, and about 71% of the calves were deficient as well. Manganese levels are somewhat confusing as I can often find deficient animals in many herds, but I'm not sure if it causes significant clinical issues. About half of the calves we sampled were marginal in selenium, although the cows were all normal. Finally, we were interested in vitamin A, as it has been associated with blindness and eye development. However, only 30% of the calves were marginal in vitamin A, and 14% of the cows were also marginal. We also analyzed the feed samples, and we did find some significant levels of ergot in some of the screenings, but these were the screening pellets that the owner had chosen not to feed. The other feed samples had very low levels of ergot or mycotoxins present, including the green feed. Finally, we did some ration analysis using cow bites, and it looked like the ration was meeting all of the major nutritional requirements. There were no issues in terms of protein or energy deficits. However, we were concerned that both the trace mineral levels as well as the vitamin A issue might be a problem. We estimated that these cows were perhaps receiving less than 15,000 international units of vitamin A a day, and their requirement for a 1,500 cow would be closer to 30,000 international units. There is definitely a deficit there. In the end, we suspect that this was a case of severe vitamin A deficiency that was probably occurring during the first trimester of pregnancy in these cows when those fetal eyes were developing. The vitamin A levels measured in the winter feed was virtually non-existent. However, the vitamin A levels now were probably improving this spring during calving season as the cows had access to green grass again. In the previous years, the pastures had become bleached out by the end of July, and these cows did not have any green grass to eat since that time. I suspect that if we could have measured vitamin A levels in the cows during the first few months of their pregnancy, that many of the cows would have been severely deficient in vitamin A at that time. Vitamin A is a fat-soluble vitamin. The main source of this vitamin is from carotenoids in plants, which are sometimes referred to as pro-vitamin A. Beta-carotene has the greatest vitamin A activity, and it's found in the orange and yellow pigments in green forage. Vitamin A is stored in the cow's liver and in the fatty tissues of the cow. Very little vitamin A passes through the placenta, and so the calf relies on the cow's colostrum to get their own vitamin A at birth. It's important to remember that when you assess vitamin A levels in a young calf, if they are low, it's because the dam had low vitamin A, or it could be because the calf just didn't receive adequate colostrum at birth. Some of the major risk factors for vitamin A deficiency would include grazing on bleached pasture, drought-grown hay, weathered forages, harvested crop residues, and prolonged feed storage. 
many of these issues were unfortunately being experienced on this particular ranch in that year. If you look at the textbook, there's a lot of different conditions that can be seen with vitamin A deficiency. There are a couple of forms of blindness that we can see. One such is this situation where there's damage to the retina when it's being formed in utero. Another scenario with vitamin A deficiency in growing cattle can occur when abnormal bone formation can pinch the optic nerve and cause blindness. Neurological signs, stillborn and weak calves, immune deficiencies, and even poor conception rates are some of the other things that have been associated with vitamin A deficiency. We looked through the literature and we were able to find another case described very similar to this one that occurred in northern Queensland in Australia. In that herd, they lost over 40% of the calves with very similar symptoms, including blindness. We've had a few research studies here in Western Canada that have examined vitamin A issues in calves. Dr. Cheryl Waldner and Dr. Fabian Eulinger from my department here at the Vet College were able to analyze samples from 887 calves from 150 different cow-calf herds in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Almost 60% of these calves were classified as less than adequate for vitamin A levels. They also demonstrated that vitamin A deficiency was much more likely to occur in herds that experienced drought conditions with less than 200 millimeters precipitation in the previous year. They are also able to show that calves with low serum vitamin A were almost three times more likely to die than calves that had adequate levels of vitamin A. In another study, Dr. Waldner was also able to show that risk of stillbirth is higher in cows in low precipitation years after controlling for all the other factors such as body condition, etc. Perhaps this is another vitamin A deficiency impact. We've had a lot of areas across Western Canada that experienced significant drought this past year. In some cases, it's been multiple years of low rainfall conditions. There's no doubt that vitamin A deficiency is a significant issue when drought occurs. It's important to make sure that you're feeding appropriate amounts of vitamin A to your cows throughout the winter feeding season. If you aren't sure about your herd status, you can get your veterinarian to sample some cows, either with blood samples or liver biopsies, to have the vitamin A status of the herd measured. In some situations, especially this year, you may even want to consider utilizing injectable vitamin A products if you can't manage to get the feed levels up to appropriate levels. Work with your veterinarian or nutritionist to get the best advice for your particular herd and your particular situation to make sure that there's adequate trace mineral and vitamin levels throughout this winter feeding period. That's the show for this week. We've got some guests coming forward, return visits from Dr. Greg Penner and Jennifer Hayden uh, will be upcoming in the next few episodes, and we'll continue to have guests for the majority of the episodes, but we'll perhaps present a few more outbreaks from the case files of the disease investigation unit in future episodes. Hopefully it's a useful learning tool. Thanks again to our sponsors, the Alberta Beef Producers and the Beef Cattle Research Council. Take care until next time.